Welcome back, fine townsfolk, to another episode of Random Encounters. I'm Nick. I'm Matt. And here we are to discuss another random monster from a random monster manual. This week, I have in front of me another new monster manual that I have just discovered. It is printed off of the Dungeon Masters Guild. I spent uh, I spent about an hour picking through all of the 5e content there, specifically stuff that I could actually get printed as a hard copy. And there are two manuals called Monster Manual Expanded, one and two. I have in front of me number one here. And these are... I'm torn about these, Matt. The whole premise behind them is that, like, in 4E, they broke out the monsters into so many different options, you know? So, so say, Knowles had various levels and various guys that could do certain things. Sure. Whereas in 5E, it's a lot more simplified, you know? You've got, you've got a level 7 Knoll, and that's it, usually, or maybe a 7 and a 14. What this book does is it it gives you more of those options of the same monsters that we really know and that's that's great if you if you need if you need those stats and you need a quick reference that's great if you say if you don't have the time to build it on your own but i i feel like for what we're doing we're not going to get much out of these okay except one or two things that kind of jump jumped out at me so we're going to I'm I'm going to try and give them them service here this week and next week and maybe I'll try to find some other things but for now for now we'll go with it we'll talk about them and see see if we can see how useful they 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 really could be for our purposes. Okay, sounds good. On Monster Manual Expanded 1, I'm open to page 131 and we have ourselves a goblin alchemist. Okay. The crafty goblin alchemist always carries three types of concoctions that it can hurl at its foes. Unfortunately, these concoctions are so volatile that if the alchemist is struck in combat, it may cause a breakage and accidentally set off a fiery explosion. I'm here for that. All day. <laughs> I'm happy Sounds about pretty that. standard goblin. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So we have a, a also standard goblin. It's a challenge one. Small humanoid, chaotic evil, armor class of 14, hit points of 14. They have nimble escape. The goblin can take the disengage or hide action as a bonus action on each of its turns. Then they have the volatile trait. When the goblin takes damage that is not poison or psychic, roll 1d20. On a roll of 1 to 5, the goblin's alchemical pack explodes. The goblin and each creature within 10 feet of it must succeed on a DC 11 dexterity saving throw or take 17 fire damage on a failed save or 5d6 or half as much damage on a successful one. The goblin has disadvantage on this saving throw. <laughs> That's my favorite detail. It makes sense. I mean, it makes, makes total sense. sense, but I just love that. I love it so much. Goblins should always have disadvantage. On, on saving throws, especially on explosions that originate from them. <laughs> True. Another really good detail is they have 14 hit points, and they take 17 with this. If you're not rolling, you're taking the average at 17. Like, it's just, it's just an auto kill. Yeah, that fact did not escape me either. 
<laughs> and just just imagine it's it's your first encounter with this thing. Your barbarian goes up and clubs it, and it just explodes. <laughs> That's if the barbarian doesn't kill it outright. That's true, but uh, but you'd still you'd still roll it. Right, oh, you still true. roll so, that d twenty. The goblin will fall and die, and then ten seconds later, just explode. It explodes, and your players have no idea what is going on <laughs> because because true. the goblin alchemist had no opportunity to to do anything to like throw a Molotov cocktail mm-hmm. or whatever. So so they think these are just exploding goblins. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, the that self-destruct mechanism. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like I just started playing Gears of War 5 and and I remember in gosh, it must have been the first one. They I think they're called tickers, the little things that'll just run up to you and explode. That's that's the same feeling I'm getting with this thing is 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 they're basically kamikaze goblins. Yeah, they have a lot of that that feel, yeah. At yeah. least lead your players to believe that they're kamikaze goblins. That would be interesting because then you bring up a couple more and all of a sudden you see your fighter or your barbarian or whatever backing away. Yeah, right. In fear. Yeah. For for se- seven at level one, 17 fire damage is is not anything to scoff at, even for a barbarian. True. I mean, heaven forbid you get a, a mage or something in that you know, realm of, or that sphere of the fire damage too. That it's 10 feet too. Yeah. And because it's fire, the barbarian isn't having it with, with their rage. True. I believe rage only has like, like physical damage, right? Like slashing, bludgeoning, things like that. I believe so. And it would make sense if that was the case. Yeah. You can still burn a barbarian. The, the other details, our, goblin alchemist has for actions where they have a scimitar they have an acid flask which is their ranged weapon it's a range of 5 to 20 one target it's the hit is just 2d6 acid damage okay. they have a goblin molotov which is a ranged weapon attack on a hit it's two fire damage and the target catches fire taking two fire damage at the end of each of its turns an affected creature or another creature within five feet of it can take an action to extinguish the fire. Okay. On a successful save, there is no saving throw on this. Yeah. Although it says on a successful save, the creature takes half as much damage and doesn't catch fire. That's the problem with these like these homebrew, like, I'm going to do this. And this one is is shockingly better than a lot of homebrew stuff I've seen. Sure. But there, there's just a detail missing in here. Yeah, they just leave a couple things out. It says nothing about a saving throw, and on the bottom it says saving throw. Yeah. Yeah. They have the, the Tangle Web potion. It is a ranged weapon attack. The creature must succeed on a DC 11 strength saving throw or be restrained by sticky web-like adhesive. As an action, the restrained creature can make a DC 11 strength check escaping from the tangle web on a success. The effect ends if the tangle web is destroyed. Tangle web has an AC of 10, 5 hit points, and resistance to bludgeoning damage and is immune to poison and psychic damage. And then finally has double lob, which recharges on 5 or 6, and it can make two weapon attacks. 
Okay. Two, uh, sorry, two ranged, two ranged weapon attacks. You throw two potions. So it can chuck that Molotov and Tangle Web at the same time, or the Acid Flask, yeah. Does it say how many they have of each? I was just about to ask you that. Doesn't. It doesn't. Okay. Maybe a D4 of each, you know, before you go in. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely something to prep ahead of time. Yeah, just just a little detail because you don't want to be throw, just spamming like acid flask or whatever. Exactly. And if they don't say they run out of their Molotov, do you take away that volatility? I would say yeah. Or is it possibly that you hit them so hard that you break the flask for the acid flask and you break the flask for the, the tangle web and those chemicals together mixing are enough to cause some sort of conflagration? I would say yes. It would just be one of those things where you do it on the fly so you see what Yeah. Maybe what spell or what potion runs out. So like you said, if the Molotov runs out, then maybe you have a an explosion of the acid and the tangle web where it does, you know, persistent acid damage, but it's not something that's easily mm. wiped off or something along those lines. Yeah, or it's just a, a splash of acid damage, and and that's it. it. And even so, it's it's still just it's still just a negative consequence of being so close to this thing. Absolutely, I think no matter what, there should be a negative consequence unless all of the potions or or whatever are are expended. Yeah, which I find it hard to believe that will happen if you have a D four of each, unless you roll really poorly. Right, or say they're standing in the back because these are ranged attacks and you've got a, a horde of little guys mm-hmm. up there doing melee as well. You know, you buy them the time before before you go up and hit them. Thinking about, say, the Molotov runs out and we got to figure out what the other ones are, I think I would do that from the start. I would roll that D20 and that on a 1 to 5, then roll a D6. 1 to 2 is the acid, 3 to 4 is the the Molotov, and 5 to 6 would be the Tangle Web. Just, just for extra flavor, and I don't think it takes sure. that much more time or brain power for your DM to, or for you as the DM, to process that to to make it a little extra, little little something more. Especially if they've already seen, say, the Molotov go off on one, and then they see you rolling again when they kill this one. They're expecting a, a fireball, but instead they get like the tangle web. So everybody in a 10 foot radius is stuck. I like that idea. I do. I think the severity of the kind of final explosion mm-hmm. probably has more to do with a mixture of all of them. Cause each, each one individually mm. is not that potent. That's true. That's valid. Yeah. So I, I think putting them all together in a, one big explosion is what makes it, you know, an average of 17 hit points. Lost. Yeah. Yeah, that's but I like valid. the idea of giving them a little bit more of a different effect on each one. So maybe this one, it still does the same damage, but this one's more of a fireball, and then this one is more of a of the uh, tanglefoot, where maybe you are you're stuck, and it's either constricting or maybe there is a little bit of acid in there that's starting to mm. eat away at you. Something mm. along those lines. Or it's 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 that much harder to get out of. It's not a DC ten. Maybe make it a DC twelve or fifteen. 
Good point. Yeah. Yeah. And the best thing for that would be if you had a multiple of these goblins just sitting there, maybe approaching you while you're trying to make this DC 12, DC 15 escape at level one or two or whatever. Right. And, or, or your, your barbarian is distracted making all of the strength checks for everyone Mm. while they should be like hammering on, on these melee guys that are, that are moving in, or you can attack it too. You know, it's only an AC 10. True. Especially if somebody has slashing damage, it's AC 10 and five hit points that for some people that is much more viable than trying to break it than a, a strength check. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. It, but again, it's, it's a level one thing. So it's, it is more just a nuisance than anything else. Yeah. And it's a pretty potent nuisance because you're going to be spending at least one turn trying to remove yourself from this. Right. Hopefully the party is large enough that the barbarian taking time out to make strength checks is not so detrimental or your cleric in the back who is predominantly support is able to do this too. They've got an ax and they can slash or, or they can, they've got a good strength, you know, that they can be going around doing this while everyone else continues to fight just embedded in a web. Yeah. It's not that big of a pain if maybe those two are, are doing all of the removal aspects of it, but you have Mm. a, say a wizard and a rogue with a bow and arrow or something that are, Mm. you know, taking out the, the goblins that are approaching from far away. Yeah. Yeah. It's true testament to how important party balance can be depending upon, on the DM, obviously. Like I would, if, if I had players who every single one wanted to be a bard, Boy, would that be annoying, but I would, I'd build the encounters around it. I I don't think I would, I don't think I would maliciously and consciously build something that really required a ranger and, and, and they've been playing together for months and they're all like level nine and I build this encounter and they're like, oh man, that was impossible. I was like, well, one of you should have rolled a ranger. (laughs) You know, that's just nine months ago. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That just, that is malicious and in my opinion, goes against the the whole purpose of being a DM and, and having that collaborative feel of, of the spirit of the game. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. I think that you make a very valid point that if you have a group and no one decides to be a cleric or a healer of some type, then you have to put something in the in the world to mm-hmm. help them out in that respect. Just as a little aside, that is exactly what happened in our group mm. where we have no no one that can heal so the medical kits are very plentiful so far <laughs> but like piñatas yeah oh yeah piñatas full of medical kits <laughs> <laughs> by the time you guys actually hear this we will probably be to the point where lisa has multi-classed into a healer as well so yeah she saw the need and and has decided to kind of expand her character in that route. But up until then, there was none of that. So we had to kind of adapt. Right. And I had to adapt as a as a DM to make sure that, you know, people weren't just dying left and right because there was no way to heal them. And that's that goes right along with the the bard argument that you were you were stating where mm-hmm. okay, give them something that they can handle and maybe they'll either multi class or some of the more 
advanced bard levels will give them something where you can kind of expand that world to include something beyond just a battle of the bands or something like that. Yeah. There are plenty of games that are person versus person. The beauty of D and D is that it is collaborative, even with the DM. So, so the point of the game is to have fun. Yes, there can be high risk. Yes, there can be danger, but ultimately if it's not fun for your players, what are you doing it for? Unless you're a masochist and a sicko, and then you shouldn't be DMing anyway. That's a different kind of game that you should be. That's a different kind sure. of game for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'm, honestly, I'm sure there are D&D iterations out there. There are RPG versions out there where it is the DM versus the players. The Dark Souls version. I, I was just going to say that. Yeah, it would just be, it would be like Dark Souls. It would be the, the merciless and a crazy challenge, but there would also need to be some sort of, I guess, regen or some something for the players to unless it's literally just like you better have a backup you better be ready with a backup character but i don't know how fun that would be you know if you're not growing with that character it depends on the players i think i think if you have a lot a group of really seasoned players that mm-hmm. are really good at not gaming the system necessarily but really kind of harnessing all the specific aspects of a character in character creation, Mm. then you want to build that encounter where it's really going to open their eyes and really give them a, a fright. Yeah. So whether that means buffing the monsters or adding more monsters or something along those lines to each encounter, Mm -hmm. I think that can be a, a good tool, but certainly that's not something you want to try with a group with a couple rookies because I think that can turn them off real quick. Yeah. I mean, um, unless they know going in, unless they, they signed up for it, but I, I mean, you, you are treading in very dangerous territory that even if they, they think that that is what they want, Mm -hmm. even if they, they love the dark souls games, for example, even if they go into that thinking, oh yeah, this is how I want to play this game. I mean, let's be real. They're, they're two very different ways to play this game and if they don't enjoy their first experience of it you're going to turn them off of D forever sure yeah you know because because that's that's all they know for this game yeah if you give them more of a video game type of experience which is how i would classify dark souls if they if you played that way i think so yeah then i would say that if that's if that's what they're looking for then great and you can probably find a way to work that in, but if that's not necessarily what they're looking for and you're you're kind of shoehorning them into it, I agree. You can just turn them off completely because it's hard to make that incredibly collaborative. Mm. One way I was thinking, and I actually had this game all set up for us to play at some point, was using the Gamma World system mm-hmm. where... One of the really cool things about that system is the fact that you can randomize your character from the get-go. Yeah. So you don't have to build a character. Are you talking that 4E version? I think it's the 4E version. Yeah. yeah. I don't think they've done a 5E. I'm not... That's the one that I... I got into a little bit. I've got like all Mm -hmm. the cards and everything. I think... I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And the way I was thinking that is you play something where you are basically just a husk. And every time you die, mm. you come back and you re-roll and you're, you're a clone of yourself or something along those lines. Yeah. But you you die and you 
could die fairly frequently so that you're re-rolling your character, but you're not, because Gamma World seems so easy, I guess, to roll up a character. Yeah. Because you're not, you know, you're not really rolling up your stats as much. You're not Mm -hmm. trying to build a brand new character every time because there is that kind of random aspect to it. Yeah. That would be a perfect way to basically create disposable characters to go back into the world. It's so much more simplified. If you if you are this, mm-hmm. then you you get this ability and this ability. Exactly. And you you pick pick two origins, or I don't remember what they're called. And at fourth level, you pick one of their first levels. Yep. At eighth level, you pick the other one, and then and then that's it. And then it basically just very simply scales up. It makes me think of. Did you ever see? I think it's called Edge of Tomorrow. Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. I've heard of it. He dies and comes back and and it's basically replaying a video game. It's 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 a roguelike where okay, I did this wrong here, I have to do it this way the next time. If you can find it, I highly highly recommend it. It's one of our favorites. Ray and I collect time travel movies because we really love when a, when a good time travel movie gets it right, you know? Mm-hmm. And this one is it's kind of bubblegum and it's more action than anything, but it's done very, very well for what it is. Hmm. It's a it's a great one. I highly recommend it for for all the listeners. Okay. Edge of Tomorrow. Got at least 10 years old at this point, but very good. So let's talk Goblin Alchemist. This is the perfect example of what I wanted out of this book instead of like, oh, this is a, a lesser Tarask and this is a greater Tarask or this is just... Mm-hmm. different stats for a Tarask, because that's what the bulk of these books are, unfortunately. But this is nice. This throws a little more flavor. This throws a little more uniqueness onto a goblin. Really what it, this book ultimately should have been is if you want to make a lesser version of this, drop stats by this amount or add stats by this amount for greater. If you want to make it a spellcaster, give it these. Yeah. Because there's there's a lot of like, oh, goblin mage gets this, this, and this. And it remarkably gets the exact same thing as the Genasi mage or this mage, that mage. So he kind of cookie cuttered and templated it. But again, like if you don't have the time or the, the mindset to, to sit down and build a goblin mage at level seven, as opposed to the level one that's in the book, like it's here for you. You can look that up. So it is, it is valuable. Absolutely. And if you're going to spend your time, I mean, we both know there's a lot of time that goes into world creation and story creation. Mm -hmm. And maybe what goes on the back burner is character by character. I mean, like monster creation and adjustment for your, your parties and your encounters and whatnot. Yeah. So to have a handy resource like this, it definitely has its place. Yeah. It might just not be one of those things that you run out and buy right away. Right. Yeah. Yeah, if you find yourself struggling looking for, oh, my my characters are level eight. I've looked at all of the options in the monster manuals from seven to ten and nothing fits into the story. Mm-hmm. Maybe then it's an option to, to, to go get. Yeah, exactly. Just take the goblin example. If you're level seven or eight, it's just annoying if you're going to throw ten to twelve level one goblin mages at <laughs> yes. as opposed yeah. to one good level eight <laughs> goblin mage. Yeah. The, the, well, I'll just add up level ones until I reach their level difficulty style. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Math. 
<laughs> that is viable. Everybody loves a good fodder fight. Especially if you have the cleave rule in effect where you can just wipe them out and basically send in waves because you're fighting, ostensibly you're fighting, say you got eight goblins and you can cleave through a third to half of them. You're fighting two level fours at that point yep. as opposed to one level eight or eight level ones. So sending in waves, it gives the idea of oh my God, how many of these do we have to go through even though they're lower level? Sure. Because eventually you're going to whittle them down. And especially if you start changing up what's in the waves, I mean, we've we've all played something like Gears of War or where you're hiding behind things and it's just nonstop. And eventually after three waves, something bigger comes out and is harder and scarier or something you haven't seen before. Mm -hmm. Same thing. Apply that. Like we've been talking about the Dark Souls, you know, think about video games. If you want a, a more video game themed or or just take inspiration from it, you know? Sure, you can do both. I mean, that's, I think that's what they tried to do with 4E, obviously. Yeah. And taking the combat aspect of that, and we've talked about this multiple times over the, the course of this podcast, but taking the combat aspect of 4E and the storytelling aspect of 5E and put them together, and I think you'll you'll scratch the itch of everyone in your party. Yeah, it's it's a fine balance, and I I think we learned that with four E mm -hmm. that those scales can be tipped very drastically one way or another. But it's also I th and I think we when we talked elementals and stuff a couple weeks ago ab ab about four E, there is like you said, there is stuff to pull out of that. There is stuff to recognize as as being valuable. And useful to take as, if if not pulled directly from the book or the rule set, at least inspiration. For sure. Like we've said before, and a lot like kind of this lesson is, it's just a matter of reskinning and fitting into your world. That's all it is. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So Matt, how many volatile concoctions would you give the Goblin Alchemist? I would go with a... Four volatile concoction okay. for the Goblin Alchemist. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I don't think you could ever go much higher for a Goblin in general. In general, yeah. yeah. But there, there's enough flavor here. There's enough enough fun, and I think we we really expounded upon the usefulness, the utility of of this guy. Yeah, I I like the idea as well of. I mean, we did kind of poo-poo the idea of throwing a bunch of lower-level creatures mm -hmm. just out of laziness, I guess, of creating a new one. But the idea of sending waves of suicidal goblin alchemists at your players mm -hmm. and just seeing that, that oh-crap moment yeah. when they see them coming, not after the first wave because that would catch them by surprise, but seeing that there are more of them and they're all, you know, it's like a video game. They're all dressed the same. You know yeah, exactly right, yeah. what they are. <laughs> Then seeing that them trying to run through their options, do we run? Do we, yeah. you know, try to hit like a central one and have them all explode? Like, how do we get through this? I think that gives another aspect to a combat that is that has a lot of these in them. Yeah. In regards to the kamikazes, take that. If you don't want to make it a an alchemist and say it's a kamikaze, make them run. And it takes a full turn action to activate the explosion. Mm -hmm. 
So they they don't get up there and explode immediately. Give them that that anticipation time, and just do just do your seventeen. Just do that that standard like whatever was that like five d six of damage. Yep. Do that seventeen damage and make them just basically auto explode. You know. Yeah, I like that. And I, I wouldn't send nine in at once because literal game over. But but yeah, that how how cool is that? And make it kobolds, make it gnolls, make it anything lower level. And obviously. If you want to make it something higher level, just bump up your damage dice. Exactly. Or that's one of those things where if they they are higher level, say they're 10 or 12, maybe that is the advanced guard where you just send in a bunch of goblins or kobolds or whatever, mm-hmm. say four or five, and they all come in at once and just stand in a line. You see them like slap their chest or something like that to activate this. Yeah. And then one turn later, it's just a line of explosions. Yeah, and th- that's a that's a good point. I mean, you can go full cartoon and have them with a keg of black powder on their back with a fuse on it. So there's there's no way to ignore this. Yep. Or give them that trigger, like slapping their chest. Like, that's really cool. Give them that visual cue that if they're not paying attention, when they see it again, that's on them. But you point that out. You obviously point that out every time, and eventually they'll learn. They can only be burned or exploded so many times. That's it. You learn or die. Yeah. One last thing. Something I saw on, I think it was Instagram, just one of those random like DM tips or whatever. Don't be afraid to make your bad guys run away if the fight turns, especially for like goblins or something. True. If there's three three goblins out of eight left and it's three against five, they're going to scarper. They're going to get out of there. And that's a good reminder to your players that running away is an option. It's not, I've gone into this fight, I have to finish this fight. It's also an interesting way, especially, you know, taking this aspect of the the combat with the kind of kamikaze, have the bad guys react. Maybe there there are some of those kamikazes, but maybe there are some other ones. Maybe there's a couple gnolls in there that are just fighting hand to hand. They see the goblins come in, slap their chest. If they have a turn after this, yeah. have them react. Yeah. Have them try to disengage and, and get out of there. Have them, you know, take a five foot step behind the barbarian oh, or yeah. something along those lines. Or to really hammer home the fear and danger of this, have them just run and take the attack of opportunity. That too. Yeah. That, that th- saying that the attack of opportunity isn't nearly as bad as being blown up. That's that's a good way to say these guys are scared of something. What should we be doing here? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot of work for a DM, obviously, because you're controlling all of these different mm-hmm. creatures. But adding that kind of acting mm-hmm. to the monsters themselves, and not just have them, you know, come up slash slash move. Yeah, that that will build the world. That'll build the combat, and that'll make for a more memorable experience. Yeah, it's it's very easy to fall into, now it's my initiative, now it's your initiative, fight, fight, fight. Yep. But every now and then throwing in a little flavor, throwing in the fear of the explosions, throwing in them cheering when one of them blows up, like cheering in excitement and, and, and appreciation like for the horde or whatever. He died for the, what was it in, in the most recent Mad Max, did you ever see that one? The one with Tom Hardy? I did, yeah. The, but... the zealots 
yep. say witness me and then they go like blow themselves up or or yep. or crash into a car or something. It's that. It's it's a goblin saying witness me and then all the other peons cheer when they do it, you know? <laughs> yep. You have a goblin that that cheers and slaps another goblin on the chest and then- Oh yeah, they they slap each other on the chest. Yeah. They're they're just so into it. They they made it through basic training and boot camp and they grew up together and they blew and they blew up together. Exactly. <laughs> Well, that is that is four volatile concoctions for the Goblin Alchemist from the Monster Manual Expanded Number One. Did I say page number? Page one thirty-one. If you're if you're playing at home, one thirty-one. And that is it for this week's Random Encounters. Come on back next week from another random monster from a random monster manual, and we will discuss it. Thanks so much for listening. See you next week. Hey. Random Encounters is a proud member of the Feckless Momes Audio Network.